Turn your porch lights off because we're coming home with a trophy. Last play. Bremer goes down the short side, turns it away to Karina Brown. She puts it on the foot. That's taken the hand of Fiso. Brown hustling up. She's dived on the ball. You're listening to Ladies Who Lead. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Ladies Who League. I'm your host, Mary Kay, and absolutely delighted that this is our 50th show. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you to everyone who has supported this show, been on the show, shared the show, got around the show. We really appreciate it. And also a big thank you to my amazing superhuman producer, Brittany Carter, who I could not do this show without. She's blushing now, but she deserves all the accolades in the world because she actually makes me sound good on air. So thank you very much, Brittany. I want to introduce you to my panel this morning. We're a bunch of talkers this morning. We've got TV producer Steph McGann. Hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, fantastic. I'm so glad you're here. I can't believe it took us so long to get I you know, onto the show. I know, it did, but I'm here and I'm ready. I'm All right. ready to talk. Good. She's ready to talk. We've also got Kate Allman from the Law Society Journal. Hi, Kate. Hey, Mary. How are you going? Very well. How are you? I'm good. Happy to be here. I feel like always. this is like your third time on Ladies Who Lake. It is. I love it. Third time lucky and it's the 50th show, which is super Super exciting. I know. I can't believe we've already done 50 shows. Can we get it's, champagne? Um, it's early, but Someone look. crack a verve. Let's do that, shall yeah. we? A ce- I'd take a celebrity tea. I would take a celebratory tea at this point, to be honest. <laughs> that would keep me pretty happy. And interestingly enough, we've also got a champion Australian dragon boater in the house this morning. Good morning, Marina Vimolo. Morning. Thank you so much for coming in. Dragon boating, I'll get into this later, is a sport that I've always wanted to try. So I'm really glad you're here. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Now let's get straight into rugby league. It's beanies for brain cancer round. So for anyone that hasn't seen, the NRL this week has stood alongside Channel 9, Fox League, Macquarie Radio Network and the Mark Hughes Foundation. So the round's the concept of the NRL footy show and 9 NRL exec producer Matt Callender who was diagnosed with brain cancer in 2016. So all funds raised during this round is going to go to the Mark Hughes Foundation and they're aiming to raise $500,000. So if you're heading to Broncos v Tigers, Eels v Raiders, Knights v Panthers or Bulldogs v Roosters, make sure you get out there and buy one of your beanies. I'm wearing mine already this morning. Steph, I know you watched League Life this week and they also had Brett Kamali who lost his wife to brain cancer earlier this week. I think it's a really important cause that people should get behind. Yeah, it he was just very um, open. I think maybe it was the first time he'd actually appeared on TV since he lost his wife. Um, it was just heartbreaking to see the poor guy, you know. He's lost his wife. I think she was only 30. A young late, woman. Late 30s. Um, and now he's got four young daughters that he have, has to look after. And I think he said something along the lines of he, he wanted to do something so that he wanted to speak out so that no one else would have to go through this. It just tore my heart out to watch that poor man and the situation that he's in now. So, yeah, this is a great cause and, you know. And the beanies look it. great. Mary's wearing hers now. I'm going to post a photo later. She looks so cute in it. So everyone get around the beanies. Look, anything with a pom-pom on it, I'm definitely around. And, look, I just wanted to shout out to the entire NRL community because everyone has really gotten behind this. So NRL and Channel 9 partner Sportsbet are one of the many to commit to donating. And Sportsbet are donating $1,000 for every try scored this weekend. So That's awesome. It, it is. It like, just shows what you know, rugby league can do when they get behind something. It's 
yeah, it's incredible. Absolutely. Now, let's talk about some footy. Let's start with Thursday night, the game between the Sharks and the Cowboys. I don't know what's going on with me this year. I keep tipping against the Sharks. I cannot get it right. The <laughs> Sharks. No, I lost. Look, the Cowboys lost this game 18-14 and Andrew Fafita came out and reminded everyone why he's one of the most talented players in the game. At halftime, the Sharks were down by 14 points, but Fafita came out in that second half with a mission and I feel like he really contributed to the Sharks scoring 18 points. Yeah, Fafita, Kate here, sorry Mary, just to jump in. I think he is the X factor that rugby league needs. I mean, I can't wait to see him in origin in the, what is it, two weeks away now? Yeah, something like that. Very excited to see him because I think he really brings that next level X factor and does things that you're not quite expecting but really changes the game. And obviously to beat the Cowboys, you know, that takes a big effort. So well done, Sharkies. Well done, Fafita. Well done, Fafita. And there were a couple of other standout players for me as well. So James Maloney, he was a key part of the comeback. Ten minutes into the second half, he dummied and stepped his way through the line. Luke Lewis, he just gets better with age. He's like a fine cheese. I love Luke Lewis. His hit on Lachlan Coote. A fine cheese. A, f- <laughs> a way to describe I love cheese and Luke Lewis. I love cheese and Luke Lewis. I feel like that's a really good way to describe it. <laughs> it's a fine cheese as well. It's a so, fine wine, isn't that the same? Yeah, like I think so. Wine. But I'm not really a drinker, so I go straight to cheese. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Yeah, all right. He had a massive hit on Lachlan Coote and that forced a turnover on halfway. And in the next set, Valentine. Holmes burst through, passed to Sasaya Fecky, and the Sharks were in the lead for the first time that night. Jason Talmalolo was probably the best for the Cowboys. He ran 200 metres and had plenty of tackle breaks, but it just wasn't enough. Steph, I think they're really missing Jonathan Thurston. Well, good, the good news, I think maybe it was this morning that it came out that JT signed on till the end of 2018. So exciting times in North Queensland. Definitely exciting. I think that news came out at about... 10 o'clock last night and people were a little bit confused as to why I thought I'd just explain it was announced at a North Queensland charity ball which is why it was a little bit odd clubs don't usually make media announcements at that time of the night Mm. so do we think that that'll be the end of JT's career after that Mm. he'll be getting close to I think so look Michael Ennis retired at the end of last year and has gone straight into media I think Jonathan Thurston already has that path set out for him and I think you know he's won origin He's represented Australia. He's won his premiership. What more is there for JT to do in our game apart from give more children headgear, which they love? It's a big part of the game. It is a big part of the game. (laughs) Now, Marina, I know you didn't watch this game, but you've played rugby league. I talk rugby league. You've played rugby league. (laughs) Um, I don't really follow um, NRL, but back in New Zealand, um, I used to I played league for a season and I had no idea how to play, but um, I played for the Otara um, Scorpions who um, Manu Va- uh, Vatuvai, he, he um, played for them when he was younger. So um, it was a pretty interesting experience. Um, I had the coach running down the sideline telling me where to go and what to do. So, um, yeah, it was definitely um, <laughs> interesting. Marina, are you a Simpsons fan? Uh, I guess I used to watch it when I was young, but... (laughs) It just reminded me there's this particular episode where Mr. Burns has a baseball team and he's standing on the (laughs) sidelines, like, signalling to them and flapping his arms and waving his arms around. That's what I imagine. Yeah, that was my coach. Yeah. (laughs) Your coach was Mr. Burns. There's a Simpsons scene for everything. There really is. I love your incredibly strange references to everything. (laughs) Yeah, we've got fine cheese. We've got Mr. Burns. We're only 10 minutes into the show. Let's see what comes up next. Bring it on. All right. I'm going to get cranky now for the next two games. Fire I'm going to get up. I'm firing up. 
The Warriors and the Dragons. The Warriors lost this game 30 points to 14. I did tip the Dragons. I'm completely sick of the Warriors. I'm absolutely so frustrated with them. They have one of the most talented rosters in the NRL and they just cannot get it together. They were disgraceful. Their defence was abysmal and I I can't watch them anymore and I will not tip them anymore. Okay, let's... This is how I felt about the Swans until a few weeks ago when they started mm. winning. I felt very angry. So I feel this. Look, at least the Swans have some success though. Like well, the they're, Warriors. They're back in the game now. Yeah, well, they're back in the game. But the Warriors, even over many years, they just can't make the finals. They can't win grand finals. They're just a really disappointing team. And I'm sick of people blaming the coach. They've had several coaches and it just doesn't seem to make a difference. What do you think is the problem? Is it a culture thing at the club or? I actually think it is a culture thing at the club. I just don't think that they are a club that is set up for success. They haven't had success for many years. I don't like that idea of blaming the coach. And I think the players need to take some responsibility for what they're doing on the field. I also think, jumping in, Kate, I also think that teams get into habits. And once you're in a habit of Mm. losing, you tend to continue losing. If you get into a habit of winning, you get on that upbeat kind of drive and you get into the habit of winning. And it's funny, you might be a better team on paper, but you can get into these habits of losing and you just keep doing the same thing. It's weird. I've got another reference. I've got another reference. Oh, so one it. of my favourite sports movies is The Natural and one of my favourite lines from I that movie. That. What, it's What is this movie? Remind me of what it is. It's brilliant. It's got Robert Redford in it. It's a baseball oh, movie. Sold. And and he's basically this washed up baseballer that becomes the best baseballer of yeah. all time. It's a, an amazing story. You've got to get out there okay. and watch it. Yeah. But the quote is, losing is a disease. It's as contagious as syphilis. What? Okay. Yeah, yeah, look, it's contagious. I should have ended the quote there. But losing is a disease <laughs> and it's contagious, right? And that's exactly what you're saying, Kate. It's like, the same thing. I've been in sports teams before myself, even, you know, your amateur Saturday afternoon hockey team. If you keep losing, you can you can be the better team, but you just can't get the win. If you can't get the goals, you can't get the tries, you don't win. Yeah, look, I know a thing or two about losing my uh, high school netball career. I don't think I ever want to game. <laughs> shout out to St. Clair's College in Waverley. Yeah. There you go. Do you know who else needs a shout out? The Dragons because they broke uh, a three game losing streak. Paul Vaughan, I say it every week, I'm like a broken record on Paul Vaughan, but I'm going to say it again. 216 metres off 20 carries and he wasn't the only impressive forward. Joel Thompson, uh, Russell Packer and Jack DeBellin all had over 100 metres as well. And look, the Warriors have conceded over 30 points in their last two games. It's just not good enough. Do you think – so I read your article you wrote. <laughs> yes. The, was it this week? Or it was week? this week about how rugby league in New Zealand is in a bit of a slump. But do I, – I love the way that you compared it to rugby union in Australia because I think, you know, you look at the two, we are uh, – NRL dominates here mm. – doesn't dominate in New Zealand. Rugby union dominates in New Zealand. It's it's like the reverse. What do we do? I don't know. What do we do? Are are we comfortable with that or do we want to even it a little bit? Like what Uh, happens? Do we need? I mean, it's nice when we beat New Zealand. In rugby or rugby league? What (laughs) are we talking about? (laughs) It's nice when we beat New Zealand full stop. Um, Yeah, look, I don't really know what the solution is there, particularly when we're talking about rugby union in mm. Australia because mm. I I don't know what to do there. Men's rugby union in yeah. Australia. I've got yeah. plenty of ideas for the women though and I know you do as yeah. well, Steph. Oh, plenty of things to say about that. Um, anyway, that was just an, an interesting contrast and I feel like we'd need 
three hours to talk. Yeah. About yeah. Those. I think we need plenty of time. Also, a shout out to the Dragons Left Edge, Tim Laffey and Khalifa Fifi Law. Between them, they made over 170 metres, four line breaks and scored three tries. Now, I'm cranky, so let's just continue on, shall we? The game between... I am fired up today. The game between the Broncos and the West Tigers. Well, wasn't that one-sided? Yeah, it certainly was. The Broncos won this game 36 points to nil. If you're a Tigers fan, I'm very, 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 very sorry for that performance. Um, Just disappointing. It was just really disappointing from the Tigers. What's their problem? What happened? (sighs) Failed to get out of first gear. What's going on? I think the signings have, like, all the signing drama around them has really impacted them. They've got a number of injuries at the moment Mm -hmm. and there are a couple of players for me that just don't look interested. So if we talk about their game last weekend, they missed 57 tackles between them. Mitch Moses missed nine on his own and I know that he's been released to the Eels this week. Teddy Tedesco missed four. That's very unlike him. Um, I think they're just in a little bit of a slump. And yeah. James Tedesco and Aaron Woods, you know, last night oh, would I have been... I love Aaron Woods. I do I as well. Him. I absolutely love him. But they were both out there last night trying to show Laurie Daly why they should be picked for the Blues mm. squad. I don't know if either of them did their chances any good. Teddy tried and he kept trying despite having three disallowed I hope we tries. I Aaron Woods there. I hope we see him in the Blues team. He's yeah, just... I don't know. The Tigers have lost their teeth. They've lost their teeth. They're playing like pussycats. They need to get the claws back wow. in. Wow. They really are. Wow. <laughs> they really are, though. Yeah. I mean, playing you're right. like pussycats. Miss... I love it. They missed so many tackles. They've just not got their head in the game. I think it might be to do with the signings you mentioned. But let's not take anything away from the Broncos, who were brilliant. The next storyline that I'm really, really enjoying is the Anthony Milford storyline. So I don't know whether either of any of you heard that last night, but apparently Wayne Bennett said that if um, Anthony Milford is picked on an extended bench for Queensland, he may not release him to play Origin. And Kevy Walters was like, oh, I might buy him a box of chocolates then to sweeten the deal. So can you just explain to me a bit more the – Coaches have the power essentially here when it comes to origin. I don't like... They can hold their team. This is something that I really don't like about rugby league and we saw it quite a bit in the city-country match earlier this year where coaches decided that they weren't going to make their players available. So Des Hasler was quite vocal about it. Ricky Stewart was also quite vocal about it. The NRL absolutely need to take control of this situation. absolutely, yeah. And... If a player is, if a coach is not going to make their players available for city country, then they just shouldn't be available for representative football at all. It's not good enough. Wouldn't it be in a coach's best interest to have their players play in Origin? What if they get injured? Well, okay, yeah, yeah, that's that's that the big one, right? Mm. But and the Broncos are an interesting team as well because they have so many players missing for State of Origin. So we were talking about the Warriors a little while ago. I did say I'm not going to tip the Warriors ever again, but they always have a good run during State of Origin because they're a team that is really not affected, whereas the Broncos, it's great that they've had six consecutive wins leading into the bye because they're one of the teams that's really going to be impacted. Do you think they could look at something, you know, like the rugby union do and they have a test period where the Wallabies go off and play and 
Yeah, this has been something that's been talked about a lot and I think at the end of the year the NRL is going to look at its scheduling yeah. because it's a very, very crowded schedule. Like we pretty much start with the nines in February. We've got the All-Stars and then we go yeah. all the way to October. And in particular this year with a Rugby League World Cup as well, it is literally going to be the year that Rugby League doesn't end. And in order to well, have... I mean, the, that's not a bad thing. No, it? it's not. It's not. But we want to make sure that our players are yeah. fit, healthy and can pretty much go the distance. Um what else to say about this game? Not much. Oh, there is one more thing that I wanted to say about mm-hmm. this game. Andrew McCulloch. So I'm not sure whether you all saw this moment. Um, Carl Lovett was making a run. Andrew McCulloch went in for the tackle. And because of Carl Lovett's movement with his feet, he essentially knocked McCulloch out. And it was a really horrible injury. Like you saw Ooh. McCulloch convulsing on the field. There oh. was blood. Oh, that's horrible. It was absolutely awful. I want to credit the trainers that look after our players so well. It was handled very, very well. McCulloch went off the field. I've spoken with someone at the Broncos this morning who has confirmed that Andrew McCulloch is absolutely okay. Yeah. He's very responsive. He's just apparently going to have a headache today. Did he oh, get a good. concussion? Yeah, significant. Like, yeah. So is he out uh, next week, do you think? <sighs> look, I'm not sure how significant the injury was. I think he will be out mm. next week, but it was just really good to see him I absolutely think okay. Is It's great that the NRL is doing this and – taking a big stance and just making it very clear, take no chances, just welfare is above all. Absolutely. Now, Marina, we're going to get into this when you do our dragon boating segment, but you've taken some rugby league players out dragon boating. Uh, yes, we have. I coach at a club called Bondi Outriggers in Rose Bay. Um, they're based out of Woolara Sailing Club and every year they take out, um, they're involved um, in a fundraiser called Ground Twelve. So, uh, what it is is a fundraiser for the tsunami that happened in Samoa a few years ago and they get all the Polynesian players um, that don't get into the finals to come out and we take them around Sydney Harbour and um, and they also have celeb- other celebrities that come down. So um, I've been involved with it um, the last couple of years and you know we get to meet some of the players and uh, last year we had... Um, we had Nigel Wagner, he organises it. Um, and we had Dean Halatau, Joe Nalaval, uh, Martin Topol. Um, and, yeah, they're, they're really laid back, um, humble guys, you know, down to earth. So it's it's good to see them in that environment and um, get to actually paddle with them and, and talk to them. So, yeah, it's... Um, and by taken out, I just want to clarify, taken <laughs> out rugby league players, she means she means take them on the boat, not yeah, actually ta- yeah. physically take them out. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be very exciting. Yeah, take them out canoeing. So yeah, Are they good canoers? Um, it's, it's quite funny because... Um, so they're obviously really strong, but some of them, <laughs> you know, because they're not used to doing that sort yeah. of exercise, some of them just struggle. Like a couple of years ago, Adam Blair came and I think his, <laughs> his partner was there as well. Yeah. She was paddling as well. And she actually did better than he did. So, you know, he was like, okay, I want to get Yes, off. we love that. We <laughs> yeah, love the women. So, yeah, no, it's um, it's a really good event. And um, so, yeah, um, that's organised through Bondi Outriggers and um, people are – invited to come down and give it a go and we um I've also involved with another club called Maya start I helped my sister start that club out, uh, based by the airport and um we've taken a few NRL stars um out through there and also um we trained the New South Wales um, Waratahs a few um years ago um for pre-season training and we got to meet all of them and um we actually um, had Christmas um, lunch with them, like the end of season Christmas lunch with them, and um, Wycliffe Palu's mum made us all like a traditional Polynesian uh, 
uh, meals. So we got to sit down with the players and, and eat with them and chat. And um, How we, many plates of food do they all eat? Oh, they eat a lot. Yeah, especially <laughs> the Polynesian players. Like we, you know, I'm Pol- Polynesian as well, but we, we eat a lot of food. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of food. And um, we um, at Maya, we uh, focus on junior development. So um, we, we got to bring our kids down and they got to talk with the players and they loved it. Yeah, it was awesome. Marina, it's so beautiful to hear you talk about that because like Dean Hallitau and Joe Nullivau are two of the most excellent rugby league humans that I've ever had the opportunity to meet. And you can come in every week and help me pronounce the names because your pronunciation (laughs) was absolutely beautiful. I love that. Now, Steph, 30 seconds. Which game are you most looking forward to this weekend? Ooh, 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 high pressure, high pressure. There is high pressure. (laughs) Well, you know what? Let's say Eels versus Raiders because I know that the eels are your team and I want to make you happy. Okay, um, I like that. Yeah, look, let's go with that. Okay. Eels versus Raiders. Both teams I think will want to forget that round 10 ever happened because it was abysmal for both. But I think the big talking point out of that game is going to be Mitch Moses. And look, I was a little bit disappointed with his nine missed tackles last week, but I'm hoping that a new club and partnering up with Clint Gutherson will, will help his chances. And Bevan French also returns for the eels. Kate, what about you? 30 seconds. Steph stole my answer because <laughs> I was going to say Eels because obviously let's forget last week ever happened. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm very much looking forward to the same game. I'm also looking forward to different code AFL, but I know the Giants is your team. So I'm I'm very keen to see how they go. I've tipped the Giants. So. Very good. I, I always love a, a Giants tip. Yeah, what? you know what? I'm back in the Giants this year. Let's just I'm, – I'm calling it. I'm going to say we're going to see him. Brent's not happy. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm a swan. Sorry, I'm t- I'm a big turncoat. But yeah, I just look I've got a good vibe about the. You Giants. You know what? Let's just all get behind the Giants because everyone knows that they have the best song in the AFL. <laughs> you know. You know. You, you know later. what? My brother, Kate's partner, the other day he was singing something. I was like, "What are you singing?" And he was singing the Giants theme song. Uh, yeah, no! it's amazing. It's uh, amazing. You know, you've got a. Nick. Great song when you've got a Swans supporter. Amazing. Since he was a child. See yeah. It. Nick and I have been going to the Swans game since we were like five year olds, since we first moved to Sydney. And what do you think? Is this a deal breaker? No, like, it is not because it's the best no, no, song. No, 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 no. It's please, the best song. Please don't say that. And I think the <laughs> other thing about the song to note is that whenever I sing it, I actually use the big booming voice. So <laughs> I've seen her do it. Yeah, it's amazing. Marina, what about you? Which game are you most looking forward to? Uh, probably the Titans versus Seagulls. I think that is going to be an amazing game. So this might not seem like a big rivalry, but these two clubs have history. We all remember the Daily Cherry Evans backflip two years ago, and there are plenty of players that have spent time at both clubs, like Nate Miles. Interestingly enough, this was a funny little fact that I found out this week. Seagulls assistant coach, John Cartwright, was the foundation coach of the Titans. And, you know, other players that have been at both clubs include like Brenton Lawrence and Brian Kelly. The big question will really be how Manly will cope without fullback Tommy Trebojevic. So I'm also really looking forward to that game. Good one, Marina.
During my life, I've had a crack at plenty of sports. I've played hockey, I've played water polo and cricket, but one that I've always wanted to try is dragon boating. This morning, we're chatting with Marina Vimolo, an Australian dragon boater who has just returned from the Australian Dragon Boat Championships in Albury, where she represented the New South Wales state team and won five silver medals and three bronze medals. Good morning, Marina. Morning. Thank you so much for coming in. It's awesome to have you here so that you can tell us a little bit more about dragon boating. How was your experience in Albury? Um, it was interesting. That was my first nationals for dragon boating, I've done canoeing for quite a few years, so it was definitely, yeah, it was definitely um, interesting, like uh, paddling for um, New South Wales and also my club, Acker, based in Piermont. They're a great bunch of people, and um, I'm still learning dragon boating. It's it's slightly different from canoeing, so I was, I was a little bit nervous going into it, but um, we did pretty well, and um, I got to meet other people in the Australian team that I hadn't gotten to meet yet, so... Um, it was good. We all came together from the different states and um, met after the nationals. So, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Sounds like it was a lot of fun. And look, it sounds like you did very well with five silver medals and three bronze medals. Marina, you mentioned that you haven't been dragon boating for very long. What made you decide to give it a go? Uh, well, I had friends uh, that do canoeing that um, moved over to dragon boating. So it, it is pretty similar, but the technique is, is very different. And it's um, it's all sprints, whereas um, outrigger canoeing is um, you have both marathon um, and sprint season. So I love sprinting. Um, I used to do a lot of sprinting back in New Zealand. So um, it was easy for me to trans- transition over. And um, yeah, so I just started in September and I've loved it. Um, every minute of it, uh, of it. yeah, it's, it's been great. Marina, I'm uh, really interested in dragon boating because I'm a bit of a history nerd and not knowing much about dragon boating, I decided to get on Google this morning and start finding out a little bit about the sport. These are the things I found. I've tweeted them all if you want, if you're interested. But a couple of things. Um, dragon boat racing has its roots in ancient China and it was a folk ritual between contending villages 2,000 years ago. Um, these are some of the other facts. Uh, the paddlers, there's tw- up to 20 paddlers on a boat. They're all kept in time by a drummer who sits there on the boat and drums a drum ironically. Um, yeah, so I, I'm really interested in what, what it's about and, and can you let me know if any of those facts are wrong or what is dragon boating to the average canoeer? Well, I also had to Google it when I first started as well because <laughs> yeah. I didn't really know much about it. I had seen it um, before but I had never, uh, I didn't know anything other, other than um, what I had seen. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's basically 10, 10 or 20 paddlers um, sitting um rows of two sitting next to each other. And a big long boat. Because yeah, I'm imagining yep, really like a Chinese kind of dragon boat. Is it like that or is it more like a canoe? Uh, it is a just a big boat. Um, when we race, we do um, put the dragon on the front, but when we're training it, awesome. um, we don't have it on there. But um, it's, a, I guess, a modern version of, of um, what they used to have back in China. Yeah. Cool. It's funny that Kate mentioned the link with China because I understand, Marina, that you and the team are preparing for the World Championships in China and representing Australia in a national team with reps from all over the country. Um, Is it tricky having teammates in other parts of the country? Um, It definitely is. Like, obviously, we don't get to train. Uh, We we will get together a few times before we head to China. So we're all training in our own states and uh, doing our own club and, and um, individual trainings. So we, we um, keep in touch 
via Facebook, we've got a conversation where we, you know, we can post messages um, to the group and and see what everybody's doing. So in that way, social media is really helpful. Mm. But yeah, it's um, it, I guess it is a challenge not having your your team that you're racing with together in the one place. So. It's a big thing that a lot of female athletes and sports teams are doing. We've spoken to the Australian Gridiron team and they're also doing the same thing, posting training videos on Facebook. I know the Jillaroos do it, the Wallaroos do it, Mm. so it's been a real advance for social media. Talk us through your week-to-week training regime. Uh, So I'm on the water uh, usually about six times a week. Uh, That's um, team training and then um, I try and get out on the – um, single canoes as as often as possible as well. So, um, yeah, we could be up to the uh, on the water up to eight or nine times a week, and that's wow. that's just water training. And so, w- would you go out in the morning or the afternoon? Both. So, um, in the mornings, I do outrigger canoeing. So, I coach um, a women's team in in uh, Rose Bay um, with Bondi outriggers. So, we're up um, quarter past four in the morning. I'm on oh. the water at five. Everybody, um, you know, goes to work from there. So it's um, pretty difficult um, having to wake up that early um, three times a week. But um, it's it's what you have to do. Marina, you've hinted while we've been talking to you, you know, you've played rugby league. Um, you do dragon boating. You've done canoeing. Are there any other sports that you play? Um, I've, I've played quite a few sports, but lately I've, I've been playing Oztag, um, AFL, which has been great um, cross training for me. So um, Oztag, I, I've played with some um, a few NRL stars actually. Um, Kevin Locke, he's played in our team, and also uh, Junior Vivi, he's, he's also played for our team as well. So it's a good cross training um, thing for me to do, um, other than the gym or um, the on water sessions. So. Um, that's been really good. And also AFL, I started that last year. So I'd never, ever watched an um, AFL game. So I was really lucky to um, get the chance to, to play the halftime game at um, the Sydney Swans game last year. So that was in front of 37,000 people. So it was so I was so nervous because um, <laughs> we got to get cha- We got changed where, um, you know, in the changing rooms where the players actually get changed. Awesome. And then we walked through the tunnels and then hearing everybody cheer, that was um pretty nerve-wracking but it was a great experience I know not many people get to go up um, on the field so not many people can say they've played on the SCG yeah it's hello turf yeah so no that was a great experience and next week I'm going to watch my first full game Um, uh, one of my friends she's a Sydney Swans fan so she's invited me to come down so I'll actually get to um, watch a full game because last time I went I was too nervous that I didn't even get to watch the the Aww. game before we actually went on um, did the halftime game. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. So brilliant, yeah, exciting. yeah. Well, Marina, thanks so much for coming in and telling us a little bit more about dragon boating. Good luck at the World Champs this year. Thank and you. Brittany and I will be coming out to do a session with you once Ladies Who League is done for the year in October. Because oh, I know you all train. Yep. <laughs> I know you train on Saturday mornings, which is when we're in the studio. So yeah. really looking forward to getting out on the water. It'll be good to have you there. Kate yeah. and Steph are also coming. Yeah, Kate and can Steph are all also coming. We'll take all of you. <laughs> we're all going to go for some dragon boating. Yeah. Looking forward to it already. Thanks, Thank Marina. This morning we are joined by a woman that needs no introduction. She's the only Australian woman to have represented Australia at the Summer and Winter Olympics and is now studying to be a doctor. Good morning, Jana Pittman. How are you? 
Very well, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Now, I'm going to throw straight to Kate Allman, who's joining me in the studio this morning because she is a very big fan and wanted to ask the first question. <laughs> Hi, Yana. Um, it's Hi, Kate here. I've okay. been reading your book, Just Another Hurdle, and I must say I've been absolutely riveted by it. Not many things can stop me from playing on my phone on the bus, but I'm just reading <laughs> your book to and from work every day. And I've really noticed, yeah, it's amazing. And you've really poured your heart into it. And I think um, any athlete or any sports person who's been through the highs and the lows of training, uh, adrenaline, fear, and the struggles and joy that sport can bring um, would totally relate to it. So thank you uh, for being so open in the book. But anyway, I basically, I am a really big fan of yours because I used to run track a lot when I was younger and I used to run longer distances like 800 and 1500 were more my forte. But I know that um, I know that you were the 400 meter gun, and I've got to say it was such a tough race. When I was younger, I have vivid memories of winning that race at school and vomiting every time I ran it because it was so it was so hard. It's like the toughest yeah, race. Um, I just wanted to That's know: right. is there ever a point that you stop feeling sick when you're training and racing that distance? <laughs> No, not really, to be honest. That's why I stopped a bobsled because it was a much easier ride. But, uh, <laughs> you know, with 400, that's the way the training works. And the, the harder you train in, in, in the, during the week, then the easier the races are. So it used to get to a point where you'd, you'd you know, throw up a couple of times during the week and then the races wouldn't do that to you. Wow. Um, but you just get used to it. It's just part and parcel. In fact, if, I think it's one of those things if you haven't, uh, if you haven't been a little bit sick in training, you don't feel like you've trained hard enough. So it's, it's sort of a barometer of how hard you need to run. Oh, wow. So how, I mean, how many times a week would you throw up during training? <laughs> oh, probably two, two, three times. Oh, man. So um, I'm, I'm pretty, almost every running session. But look, wow. it, was, it was part and parcel of the job. And you just, you know, it's the lactic acid. It doesn't hurt you. It doesn't make you, you don't feel sick. It just, it's almost relief. Yeah. Because you get this very large buildup of lactic because you push your body so hard and then your body feels great once you've, you know, once you've <laughs> released it, I guess. So yeah. it's, um, it's, just, it's just part and parcel what, I, what event I chose. You know, I probably should have been smart like Sally Pearson and done the 100 hurdles, that would have been <laughs> the same. Been but, you know. <laughs> um, but I love the endorphin release. Yeah, me too. I think that's what every sports person does it for, hey. So in your, yeah, book, exactly. in your book, you also talk about how you kind of um, battled not to gain weight when you were doing training and hurdles. And this is kind of a foreign thing to me because even though I really relate to you in the book being like a tall, lanky person, I'm one of those <laughs> girls that other women kind of hate for having a metabolism yeah, of like you. a 15-year-old <laughs> basketballer. So sometimes you were training really hard and you were surviving on just a 1,000 calories a day. I was wondering how you did that. How you manage it? Again, it was mindset, but it's something I couldn't do for very long. And as a result, I did have certainly many issues with diet over the years, which I do talk about in my book, which, uh, you know, I, I struggled with eat and eating disorder for a number of years because I couldn't get in control of that um, that constant rigmarole of, of low, yeah. low calories. And then your body's starving and it's yelling at you to eat something. So um, it was a hard lesson to learn, but it's certainly, I've come out the other end. But, you know, I think, again, sport is, you have to be a certain body weight to, to compete. But the, funnily, the lesson I learned most strongly when I actually had my son, so I raced the world champ seven months after having my son, I was about five or six kilos heavier, um, and I still won. And then it was in that very moment that I realized, wow, you don't have to be this skinny, you know, really skinny anorexic looking girl to win to win a world title you just need to be fit and healthy and and ultimately that means your mind and your body and your soul is actually in a better place so I changed that down the track and um and really started looking after my health in a good way to promote um, a healthy athlete rather than a skinny one 
Yana, something that I really enjoyed during your book was the importance of role models and I particularly enjoyed your relationship with Melinda Gainsford-Taylor. Can you tell my listeners about some of the powerful female role models that have helped you during your career? Yeah, look, I've heaps of them and as you say, Mel Gainsford was probably my strongest initially because I started training with her when I was about 14, 15 years of age. So she mentored me on a personal level in, in life of what, what kind of woman to grow up into be because she's got a you know, beautiful big smile and that wonderful personality that just you know, lights a room up. So um, she also taught me how to train hard and how to um, prioritise goals. And, um, and I, as a result, I had a very easy teenagehood. My parents were lucky to have someone who didn't go off the rails at all because I was so keen to be like Melinda Gainsford. So Cathy Freeman, again, growing up watching her, my own mother, and the way she sort of Put it, prioritized me throughout my life. Debbie Slintoff Kings, another one. She was our 88 Seoul Olympic gold medalist, and I moved to train with her when I was about 21 under her her husband Phil King. And just watching her, watching the fact that she just had left no stone unturned in her quest to win that Olympics was was incredible. And and then now, funnily enough, I have a lot of female role models in medicine in, in the fact that I want to be a surgeon in a very male-dominated world. And watching these amazing ladies come out and um and you know and be go one for one with the guys is really inspiring. Yana, Steph here. Can you tell me what drove you to now pursue a career as a doctor? <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, doesn't it? You go into sport for, sport for 15 years and then you go into something that's equally as hard. And um, Look, I think it's just that I've always wanted to do that. I love medicine right from when I was a kid. It wasn't actually sport that I wanted to do. It was I carried this little doctor's bag around and, and you know, pretended to administer medications to my brother and whatever. Um, and so it was, a real, it was a real dream come true to get into the course. And to be honest with you, I think it's a great buffer because it's very topical at the moment that a lot of athletes are really struggling with retirement and post-Olympic you know, post blues kind of thing. And uh, it's, it's been something that's really protected me from that. So on that, can you just talk us through, because a lot, as you just said, has been made of athletes and the hard transition to retirement at, at the moment in the media. Talk us yeah. through your own retirement and how you felt when you left the sport. Um, it was funnily, it wasn't actually in my book. It was after my book. It was only recently that I've really reconciled with that. So I definitely, because I had the buffer of medicine and I genuinely, there was a, there's a moment I write about in my book where I was delivering a ba- helping deliver a baby and for me, I had the chance to stay and do another delivery or go out and train and I chose to stay at the hospital. And that for me was a key sign that my love for medicine was greater than my love for the sport. Um, and then obviously my desire to have another child really just hammered the Rio campaign in, in, in the coffin. So um, for, for me, I'm very, very lucky that I had those buffers, but I am very aware that there are other athletes out there that don't have something to go to, don't have that backup plan or don't have the beautiful kids to come home to yet. They're younger. They may have been lost for injury. So the best way I can sort of describe it is it's, it's like going through a divorce. It's something you've loved all your life and then all of a sudden it's gone and it's a real identity shift. So um, I think it's great that we're giving a lot of awareness campaigns to these young to these young people who are retiring early from sport because they do just need a bit of a break and um, for us to give as much support as we can. Yana, you also talk about a lot in the media, uh, I mean, in your book, how the media sort of portrayed you as um, a bit of an unfair image, calling you drama Yana and creating you this image of you as a drama queen rather than kind of telling the full story of all the injuries you suffered. Um and a lot of that commentary came out in newspaper articles during your yep. career. Um, that kind of was, I guess, the era just before social media really took off. And how do you think it <laughs> would goodness. be? Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> I was thinking, how, how do you think it would be these days with Twitter and Facebook? And I know even Mary here receives trolls every day. How do you think you yep. would handle the trolls? Well, I think it would be a bit of both because – 
you'd have a platform to actually have a voice back to an article um, because True. certainly when those articles came out, I had nothing. I couldn't comment and say, well, look, this is the real the story behind it or put lovely positive pictures of the family or the, the charity work you're doing at the time. So there was only, there was only the, the newspaper side of the, the scenario. Um, a great example is the Tams and Lewis um, situation where apparently back in 2006 we were you know, having this big cat fight at one stage and we were very good friends. She's actually written the foreword for my book. Um, had there been social media really kicking on then, we probably would have been able to dispel those rumours in an instant. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in saying that, as you said, it would have it could have meant I had a lot of hate mail <laughs> um, and that would have been hard to, hard to deal with. But yeah. I think the biggest thing we've got to remember is that media has to, I mean, you guys are in the media, you have to sell stories and pretty fairy tales of going and visiting schools and talking to the kids isn't going to sell a newspaper, but Yana's divorce and breast implants will. So it's sort of, you just got to take pass and parcel if you're going to be a public figure, you have to understand that there's going to be some criticism. Yeah. And I think that uh, Mary's podcast here is one of maybe the outlets that's trying to tell the real story and the positive story about women in yeah. sport. So we were also going to ask, um, do you think that female athletes these days are under more scrutiny than men? And I mean, if the same hmm. things had happened to a man in your career, would they ha- would the media have circulated a drama queen reputation for a male athlete? I don't know, to be honest, because obviously a lot of the boys get they get in trouble for for drugs and you know going out and partying, and the girls don't seem to, to get in trouble for that as much. So maybe it's a bit of it's just a, a role model, like a gender identity thing. I don't really know, but I think for me the reason I got drama is it rhymed with Yana. So had of my name yeah. been maybe Emily, it would have been different. So <laughs> who knows? It was just a very clever journalist back in 2004 that obviously put that connection together, and it stuck. Yana, we've seen the landscape for women in sport change so dramatically over the last couple of years. What are the biggest changes you've noticed during your career? Uh, the social media one, as you've already sort of commented on, would be the biggest one. Um, you know, I, I don't really know. I think Olympic sports is taking a bit of a dive and we need to really try and um, get the, the profile of Olympic sports back up again because it's certainly now a lot of the like AFL and the men's um, team sports that are taking a lot more of the media. And to be honest, I guess sport isn't as much of a pastime anymore for people. I think people aren't just doing as much sport or watching as much sport as they can. There's a lot more reality TV and things like that. And so I think athletes are certainly struggling for the publicity a little bit more and therefore having to go to greater lengths to get it, um, which I think would be very challenging for sponsorship for young athletes. And then, you know, they may be then wanting to do bikini shoots and things that they may have not done in the past. Yana Steph here. Now, your book's called Just Another Hurdle and it describes your life in a series of goals, setbacks and triumphs. What is the next hurdle for Yana Pittman? <laughs> Getting into surgical school. <laughs> Congratulations. So, nice yeah, one. Well, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah, no, it's on its way. So I'm a fourth-year med student now and then I really want to get – I want to be an obstetrician gynaecologist, so women's health. So that'll be a couple of years, five or six years from now, then I'll, um, I'll try and get into that. And that'll be the, the, the greatest achievement but the biggest hurdle I'll have in the next 10 years. Yeah. Yana, thank and you. And finding a husband, that's a bigger one. <laughs> Look, that's a hurdle that I think well, many of us face on this show, so don't worry, you're not by yourself. <laughs> Yana, thank you so much for joining us this morning. You're an absolute delight. Congratulations on the book and a phenomenal career, and I can't wait to read the newspaper article when you get into surgical. This is Let's start with baseball and I was really happy to hear about members of the Australian women's baseball squad who are currently in Indonesia at the moment and they're delivering what's called the Diamonds in the Rough program. 
This is a program all about empowering young Indonesian girls through baseball. And one of the dads of the young girls in the program said this week that being coached by these Australian players and building self-confidence is so important for my daughter. I wish the Emeralds would come back regularly so that even more children can have this opportunity. I think that's awesome and just demonstrates how powerful sport is. I think I'm actually going to be heading to Brisbane Entertainment Centre in a few weeks because I want a picture with former Australian Diamonds captain Laura Geitz, who's been immortalised in bronze. So this statue means that Laura is the first female athlete to be honoured with a life-size statue. And this is a woman that's played 64 test matches for Australia, including 29 tests as captain and just three losses. The statue is 2.6 metres, so to get anywhere near Laura's face, I think I'm going to have to stand on my tiptoes. I also want to talk about rugby because we've been doing a bit of women's rugby in shows in recent weeks. Well done to my team, Sydney, who beat the ACT Brumbies 34-0 in the national championships last weekend. That's two in a row for the New South Wales team. And also congratulations to all the women that were named in the Wallaroos squad yesterday. They're going to be heading over to New Zealand for a series in June ahead of the World Cup, which will be happening in August. On to touch footy and congratulations to our mixed men's and women's side who won their divisions in the Trans-Tasman last week. So that was a clean sweep for Australia and maintains our dominance in touch football. AFL and the big news this week is Eleni Gluftus, who this weekend will become the AFL's first ever female field umpire when she umpires the game between the Essendon Bombers and West Coast Eagles. So everyone's been talking about Eleni and how she's made history, but she's already made history. This is a woman that in 2013 was the first woman to umpire for a San NFL match. By 2014, she'd umpired in 15 appearances and was then the recipient of a three-year scholarship to train with the VFL and AFL. So go Eleni, I'm so looking forward to seeing you front and centre this weekend. And finally, rugby league news and big props to Channel 7, who this week announced that for the first time in the history of the Women's Rugby League World Cup, all 12 games will be broadcast on free-to-air television. So that means that no matter where you are in the country, you'll get to watch the Jillaroos take on their opposition in the World Cup later this year. to episode 50 fingers crossed that the Woo-hoo. next 50 are just as excellent can we if come not back for better. 100 episode 100 yep. sure you can Half all come back for we want to be there for the century <laughs> done that's a deal and i promise i'll have champagne steph thank you so much for thank coming you. in it was plenty of fun yeah this is a good show this yeah. morning kate thank you also for coming in thanks for having me mary and i forgot to ask you steph i know you're going to plenty of sport this weekend what are you looking forward to the most well i'm looking forward to the swans this afternoon. I won't be going because it's in Melbourne, but I will be on the couch Good. watching. Hopefully they beat St Kilda, continue the winning streak because I think we're back in the game. Mm-hmm. Even though I did say earlier that I think GWS are, you know, going to be good towards the end of the year and I did feel like a bit of a turncoat. Welcome but, aboard. Um, yeah, swans, swans and um, maybe the Waratahs tomorrow. It's ladies' day at the Waratahs yeah. tomorrow. I'm very much looking 
forward to being in attendance and I'll be wearing my beanie. I'm good, pretty much good. just going to wear the beanie for the rest of the weekend. The beanie so is a part of the head now. It's attached. Look, the thing about the Waratahs is they're playing the Rebels. Surely. Surely. Yeah. yeah no? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think the Waratahs will win. Sad times in Australian times. rugby. But ladies' day tomorrow, I'm looking forward to getting my lolly bag. Yeah, that's right. Marina, thank you also for coming in. Thanks it was for having me. lovely to have you and you are welcome here anytime. Thank you. Big thanks to all our listeners. You are all super amazing. Thank you for all the support that you've given me in this show. We really hope you're enjoying it. I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. I'm going to watch the Giants win this afternoon. I'm going to watch the Eels win tonight. And then, look, if I get those two things, I don't really care what happens with the Waratahs tomorrow. But, look, hopefully they also get a win tomorrow. (laughs) I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Stay dry. You've been listening to Mary Kay from Ladies Who League. Turn your porch lights off because we're coming over the trophy. Last play. Bremner goes down the short side, turns it away to Karina Brown. She puts it on the foot. That's taken the hand of Fiso. Brown hustling up. She's dived on the ball. You're listening to Ladies Who League.